0: Alrighty, Shalom and welcome. This is Rabbi Abed Benah, and this is the beginner's teaching for this week's Parshiot, and we have two of them this week. We have Tazria and Mitsara. And one of the things that I, I, I want to do this week, and I don't get to do a beginner's teaching every single week. Whenever it is I'm able to do it, and I am allotted the time to do it, I love to go and do an extra teaching for those of you who are beginning your walk. In Torah and Messiah, because I know how confusing it can be for quite a few of you, and many of you are looking for how is it that I apply this in my life? You know, you can go and uh, look up many things online, and the thing about it, there's so many are so way over your head, and I understand this. I absolutely do. I was at, at, at right where you are several years ago, and I understand. I absolutely do. And so the thing about it though is that we don't want you to go through this teaching thinking that it is that you have to be taking tons of notes and to be sitting over there with, you know, your mouth opening and drool running out the side of your mouth. <laughs> you know, because of the fact that you feel like that you have to cling on every single word that it is that I'm saying. We're going to make it easy for you we got several slides that it is that we're going to be showing to, uh, you know, basically make the notes easy for you. I know that any of you that have Apple devices and all that stuff, you can go and take a screenshot picture. Or, as a matter of fact, if you're watching this on MelechMashiach.com, there is actually a PDF file that has every single one of the slides. So you can sit back. And uh, chill out and watch this teaching on your Roku or on your mobile device or on your computer or what have you. We're going to make it easy on you. We're going to go and look at this week's Parshiot, the Tazria, uh, Metzora. Um, and, you know, even in the notes, even in the slides, you know, we go and we put several times what these Hebrew words are, what does it is that they mean, you know, and all these things to make it easy for you. And, and you know, again, we're going to talk about application a great deal. And I feel a big sneeze coming on. Is it going to come? Is it? Is it? Oh, hold on. Ah, oh, what a letdown. Um, <laughs> again, we're trying to make this fun for you. Okay, so we're going to start out this week's Parship. And this week's Parship actually starts... In the book of Vayikra, or Leviticus, chapter 12, starting at verse 1, and the end of Metzora, which is the second parshiot, it ends in Leviticus chapter 15, verse 33. And so, you know, um, actually, the reason why it is that I'm doing slides for this one, which is something I normally don't do, is because of the fact that we are going to be getting into a premise... Uh, many premises, as a matter of fact, they're within Torah Al-Pay. We're just Torah Shebi'Alpeh. It is the Torah which is spoken. It is the spoken Torah. It is the oral Torah. And the thing about it, though, is that we don't want those of you who are beginners to be jumping full force into oral Torah because it could be very confusing for you. You know, for instance, there's a passage within that of Terashebi Alpeh, the oral Torah, that says that uh, Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses, was 10 cubits tall. Does that mean that he was actually 10 cubits tall? Is that what the rabbis are claiming, that he was 10 cubits tall, <laughs> that he was some sort of giant? No, that's not what it is that it's saying, but there's all these intrinsic premises, and there's some really cool things that are that the rabbis and the sages say in terms of this week's parshiot that is actually going to help us out a great deal in applying these things in these parshiot how do i apply these christopher i'm not a leper this is what i read in in these passages it talks about leprosy what is it that i have to apply i'm not a and hagadol you know, there's nobody coming up to me saying, hey, hey, check this out. You know, I don't have that happening. So how do I apply this? Well, let us go to the first slide. This is from the Maharal in Netzreya, Israel chapter 41. He says that the leper, and the word for leper there is Zarot. Okay, now if you have the Stone Edition Tanakh, it's gonna say "zaras." Uh, 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 okay, and that's the Ashkenazi uh perspective there. But it says that the leper "zarot" will be rejected from the camp of Israel, and he does not belong to the world. Therefore, it is written, "All the days wherein." The plague is in him. He shall be unclean. While he is unclean, he shall be alone. As it says in Leviticus chapter 13 verse 46, Similarly, the Messiah will be separated from the world completely. Therefore, when he comes, he will resemble a leper. This is something that is very interesting in terms of this, and we're going to go over, we're going to keep coming back to the thing that the Maharal said in this passage in the 16th century. And But it's important for us to understand, first of all, why it is that the Messiah represents that of a leper, why it is that Yeshua represents this because uh there's many different facets that are within this Parshiot in terms of Zorot. So we're going to look at what it is that Zorot actually represents. And this is from a footnote in the Stone Edition Tanakh and it says that the popular translation of Zorot has been leprosy and it is commonly accepted that the prevention of the disease spread was the reason for the quarantine of the people smitten with the malady. However, Rabbi Hirsch demonstrates at length that these notions are completely erroneous. Where is it that we go from here? Let us look at the Talmud again in Achrim. Chapter 16, page A. It says, Zorot is the physical manifestation of a spiritual malice. The primary cause of Zorot is the sin of slander. Similarly, it is the punishment of the sins of bloodshed, false oaths, sexual immorality, pride, robbery, and selfishness. Zerot is a divine retribution of the offender's failure to feel the needs and to share the hurt of others. God isolates him from society so that he can experience the pain that he has imposed on others. He is able to heal himself through that Teshuva Teshuva <laughs> There's that sneeze uh, is repentance. <laughs> so when it comes to Zerot, we often look at our English translations of our Bibles and Zorot says essentially leprosy. That's what it's translated to in that of the English. But the thing is that when we look at Zurot and when we look at leprosy, we see that the condition that these individuals have is not essentially leprosy. We don't, it's not like, uh, Jeff Goldblum in the fly at the end when he's kind of melting away and the body parts are falling off and all that stuff. That's not <coughs> what is going on here. We see that there are some afflictions. Golly, I hate, uh, the a uh, hate hay season, um, we see that this is not essentially what it is that Zerot, which again is translated in your Bible as leprosy, this is not what is actually taking place here. Instead, what is going on is that there is a spiritual malice, as the sages say, that is manifesting in the physical and the thing is that this is something that we have to guard ourselves, especially when we're young in our walk. When a person is young in their walk in Haram messiah, they tend to look at their former religious institution and focus all their attention on exposing their former religious institution, talking about the things that were wrong there, and so on and so forth. And they really um, tend to build up what is called the yetzahara, What is the yetzahara? It is the evil inclination. There is an external satan and there is an inner satan as well. And when I say an inner satan, it doesn't necessarily mean that a person is possessed. Every single person has this battle within them of the yetzahara and the yetzahara. The inclination of good and the inclination of evil. When you were younger, you probably remember the um, the Donald Duck, Mickey Mouse cartoons, where they, the, the, poof, they would be a little angel and poof, a little demon on the on each shoulder, telling them what it is to do. And this is the battle of the Tov and the Yetzahara. This really is a Judaic premise, as a matter of fact. Uh, the conscience and then the the evil one, and so on and so forth. We have to battle the Yetzahara every single day. And the Yetzihara causes us to engage in the things that are mentioned in Akrim chapter 16a, where it says, bloodshed, false oaths, sexual immorality, pride, robbery, and selfishness. And many of these things transpire because of the Yetzihara, which produces then Loshon Hara. This is one of the big things because we see how it is throughout this parshiot? how it is that the words of that, of the Chohad HaGadol, are very limited in terms of this instance. That he has to be very tedious when it is that he makes a distinct distinction that this person has indeed zorot, And so this is something that we have to guard ourselves with. Because of the fact that it is so easy to allow our yetzahara, our ego to flare up, our anger to flare up, and to be able to – what happens when this happens, when we have this hatred within us, this anger within us, we then manifest it in the physical and so this is the this is what is being shown in this Parshiot is that these things, the, when the Yetzirah builds within these people, they have to be taken outside of the camp for a duration of time. And while they're outside of the camp, what is their job? Okay, we said we're going to get into real-life situations, modern-day s- situations, to where it is that we see this in our own life. Many of you who are parents, you have a child that is acting up, okay? And so what do you do? You put him in timeout. You take away something that they enjoy, whether it be a piece of sporting equipment, a video game, television, or something of that sort. They are punished by having something taken away from them. And so during that duration of time while that thing is taken away, they are to think about the things that it is that they did, what caused them to have that thing taken away. This is what happens when these people are taken, when they uh, are you know, they have Sarot, they are taken outside of the camp for a duration of time and then they come back. And then they're checked to see if they still have the Zorot. It's basically this entire idea of, have you learned your lesson? You know, have you gone and looked within yourself during this time to determine whether or not it is that, uh, you know, that you are in the wrong here? Have you received your Tachon? What is Tachon? Tachon Literally, in Hebrew, means to repair. I love the way that Rabbi Shalom Arush, however, goes and uh, gives a definition of it. He calls it soul correction. Have you received your soul correction? There's many times in our life where we have done something wrong, and we have had to learn a lesson. Through that lesson... We could sit there and say to ourselves, okay, we can either make excuses and then engage in Lashon Hara, and that's when the person goes back out again for 14 days. When we say, it's not my fault, it's this person's fault. We could think of a time that possibly say that we have lost our job or something like that. And what happens is, have you noticed that a person, when they lose their job, it's never their fault? It's always their boss's fault or somebody else's fault and all this stuff. This is what qualifies as Lashon. Huh? The person fails to look within themselves. We have to realize that everything good and everything bad that, that happens in our life comes from that of Hashem. We have to realize this, that even the toughest of battles that we have within our life come from that of Hashem. For reasons of introspection, of looking within ourselves... And and correcting something within our life that needs correcting. Say a person is at the grocery store. They go to pay for their groceries. And they realize that the $20 bill that is within their wallet is that they remember putting in there is not there. Or we could say to ourselves that the thing just absolutely vanished. A person could say, well, it was stolen from me. Or they could say, you know, I misplaced it or so on and so forth. But it what happened is irrelevant why it's not there is irrelevant but what is relevant is the message that Hashem is wishing to give them when this thing happens Hashem could be sending the message you need to be a little bit more diligent with your finances you need to stop spending it on ridiculous things Uh, Because of the fact that I'm sending you a message right now to let you know that you have not been a good steward of that of your finances. If a person fails to receive this correction, then what happens is they may end up going and checking their schedule at work and seeing that their hours have been cut back and other people have been given better hours. So, again, this is Hashem kind of upping the ante and saying, you need to be a better steward of that of your finances. So, the person then still doesn't get what it is that Hashem is trying to tell them. So, what happens? Their hours get cut back even more. And they start to lose the benefits that they receive from that job. Hashem is upping the ante. If a person still fails to receive that soul correction, Hashem will cause them to lose their job. When they lose that job, that is the point to where it is that they start to have issues such as not being able to pay the rent, not being able to have food in the home, and so on and so forth. When the message could have come to the person when they failed To see that twenty dollar bill was no longer in their wallet, Hashem was trying to tell them, "You need to be a better steward of your of your finances." Each and every single time when they failed to receive that tachon, that soul correction, Hashem ups the ante even more. So it's important. For us to look introspectively, when we pass on the blame, even if it is somebody else's fault of some instance of anything that it is that comes our way that makes us feel discomfort, even if it is somebody else's fault, the fact is that we should always look introspectively because there is a message from Hashem and all things in our life because Everything comes from Him. Everything comes from Hashem. So, this is like the person, the person who is uh, afflicted with that of Zerot. Okay? They are put outside the camp so that they have no reason to not take the soul correction from Hashem and to look introspectively. And the thing is... That considering that we are individuals at this point in history in exile, the Jew is always in exile. We always are. The fact is that this should be a time of introspection, a time of looking within, but yet the thing that we see in the Hebrew roots is this finger pointing of straw man arguments, but if we look within ourselves, and we look at 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 our observance, and looking at making that connection with Hashem introspectively, as opposed to smoke screens, straw man arguments, looking at our former religious institutions, looking at you know things that are going on in the world in terms of politics or what have you, if we look introspectively, then it is that we could shed away the Zarot in our life. Let us look at the premise of how it is that Zorot and Metzorah, which we will get into a little bit later here, deals with that of the Divine Messiah. This is from Sanhedrin 98 in the Talmud, and it says, What is his, the Messiah's name? The school of Rabbi Shelah says his name is Shiloh. As it says in Genesis 49, for it is written, until Shiloh comes. The school of Rabbi Yanon says his name is Yanon. For it is written, his name shall endure forever. As the sun was, his name is Yanon. The school of Rabbi Hinnah maintained his name <coughs> is Hinnah. As it is written, where I will give you Hinnah. Others say his name is Menachem, the son of Hezekiah, for it is written, Menachem, the comforter, that would revive my soul is far. The rabbi said, his name is the leper scholar, as it is written, surely he he has borne our grief and has carried our sorrows, yet we did not esteem him a leper smitten of God, and afflicted. This is a premise known as Mashiach ben Yosef. There are, in the Talmud, makes note of two comings of Messiah. as Messiah ben Yosef, the son of Yosef, who is a suffering servant, and then the conquering king known as as Messiah ben David. But throughout the Talmud, it keeps referring to Mashiach as the leper, in coming in terms of Messiah ben Yosef, and he carries on the attributes of Yosef. The thing that we have to understand though at the same time is that though that Yosef was that of a suffering servant, he was also royalty in the land of Mishraim, in the land of Egypt. And this is something that we also end up seeing later on in the book of Deuteronomy or Davarim, that we see that the king is also supposed to be that of a servant. So we see that the two are actually very synonymous; they are the same thing essentially. If we think about it in Jewish, in a, in a Jewish mindset, as opposed to that of a Western mindset, but when it makes note of Messiah Ben Yosef over and over again, it refers to him as the leper, the one who is afflicted. Now this is something that we can see all throughout that of the letters of Rav Shaul when he makes note that Yeshua bore our sins and that he bore our affliction and that, uh, you know, he paid the price for us. This all has to do with this instance of Zerot. Now, we're going to look at some of the passages in the Gospels here. And knowing what it is that we now know about Zerot, being an inner affliction that is exemplified outward, that is also called Metzora. Okay, a person who is afflicted with Zerot is known as a Metzora. We see this in the Gospels as a matter of fact. And now we can shed a little bit of light actually on a great deal of these individuals who are called lepers within that of the Gospels. We're going to start here at Mark chapter 1, verse 40 through 42. And we're going to be using the uh, Dalish Hebrew Gospels uh, throughout a majority of these. There's there's three versions of the New Testament that I tend to use. I use uh, mainly the Aramaic English New Testament. Uh, I also use the Orthodox Jewish Bible, but I kind of tend to use that one with individuals who are uh, more advanced because there's a lot of Hebrew in there. Um and then I uh because of the classes I take at Yeshiva Shuvu we um, are supposed to have the OJB and we're also supposed to have the daily Hebrew gospels. And when I was looking through these verses, I loved the way that the daily Hebrew gospels ended up uh reading uh, or writing these out in in that version from First Fruits of Zion. Um So I decided to use a majority of these from the daily Hebrew Gospels because of the way that it kind of tend to flow with that of pointing out necessarily these instances of Metzorah and also that of Zorot, okay? So that's why I'm using that here this week. And it says in Mark chapter 1, verse 40 through 42, it says, A man who was Metzorah. Now, a Metzorah is one who is afflicted with Zorot, Okay. The Metzorah is the person. The Zorot is that of the inner affliction that is exemplified outwards. Okay, It says, A man with Metzorah came to him and pleaded with him and fell down on his knees and said to him, If you are willing, you are able to purify me. Yeshua had compassion on him and said, I am willing. Be pure. While he was still speaking, the Zorot departed from him, and he became pure. This is not only the, this is not the only instance where it is that this happens. We also see this in the book of Luke as well, chapter 17, verses 12 through 14. And it says, And he came to a certain village, ten metzorum. Now, Metzorim is the plural form of Metzorah. It's multiple people afflicted with that of Zorot. Um, ten Metzorim came to greet him. They stood at a distance. They lifted their voices and said, Yeshua, teacher, be gracious to us. He saw them and said to them, go and be shown to the priests. They went and they were purified. This is one of the things that is within that of the Torah where it says, that a person with, if they are, uh, if they believe that they are, uh, healed of that of, of, uh, Zorot, then they have to go and be checked out by that of the Cholen. Okay? So we see that Yeshua is going to do ex- is telling them to do exactly what it is that is within the Torah, as always, and, uh, to go and get checked out by that of the priest. We see this again. In the book of Matthias Yahuwah, Matthew chapter 8 verses 2 through 3, and it says, Then a man, who was Metzorah, came and bowed down to him saying, Master, if you are willing, you are able to purify me. Yeshua reached out his hand and touched him and said, I desire, be pure. And in an instant, he was healed of Zorot. This is this these passages tell us a great deal about our connection with that of Yeshua, that whenever it is that we live a life for that of Yeshua, we live a life for that of the things that it is that he taught by uh going and living our lives for God, that we should be working to shed that Metzorah, and Yeshua helps us out with this a great deal. He helps us to shed the medsara that is within our life. Now, this is something that, it, you know, it takes effort on our part. It's not something that we just kind of sit there and we pray about and we pray about and we think that it's just miraculously going to happen. There has to be an effort on our part. You know, uh, when a person, you know, comes into this walk, you know, it's so easy to get teeth teachings from me or from somebody else or you know what have you we tend to not want to do the hard work at times and I understand that life is busy it, it is you know I mean um, I work 40 hours a week I do three teachings a week and then all these other things that I end up doing and so on and so forth you know life is busy it really is but the thing is The, the, the scripture makes note that a workman is, is, uh, that basically he works for his wage. And that's not just monetary or anything like that. You receive in whatever it is that it is that you get in terms of knowledge, and the word for knowledge is da'as, and in wisdom, chokma, by that of doing, by that of putting an effort forward. And not just seeing life as being something, well, you know, uh, Hashem, take care of this. I don't want to have to put any sort of effort towards any of this. Um, I believe that you're going to do it without me putting in an effort toward, you know, that's, that's almost like a person going and making an investment into a company or something like that. And they say, Oh yeah, we just kind of sit around on our desks all day. Uh, why in the world would, this person wants to invest with you. I mean, you don't produce anything. You don't do anything. I mean, why is it that they would want to in, in invest in uh, that particular company? Hashem sees, sees, sees it the same way. We can pray and pray all day long. We can engage in hippo to But if we choose to not do the hard work in our life, in our inner self, to change that inner self, to purify ourselves of the Zorot, if we choose to, to stay metzora, and every single one of us is metzora, in some way, shape, or form, there's some thing that it is that each and every single one of us struggle with. We have metzora that we have to battle, zorot that we have to battle, every single day. You know, whether it be, uh, you know, take for instance, I have a coffee addiction maybe you have an addiction to to something or maybe it is that you struggle in in an area maybe it is that you have a hard time looking uh you always look at women in lust or something like that there is always this battle that is going on the worst thing that we can do is to try and elevate ourselves above that of our brethren it doesn't matter how smart we are how it it, it doesn't matter if we read the Torah in perfect Hebrew. If we read the New Testament in perfect Aramaic, if we know all the Gematria values, we have all this stuff memorized. It doesn't mean a thing. Every single person struggles in some way. Anybody who goes and puts, uh, and puts on this perception that they are perfect, and every single way in their life, according to that of Torah, is fooling you. That's, that's the fact. We, there is always this inner struggle that is going on. If Moshe Rabbeinu had an inner struggle, believe me, you're going to have one as well. If Yeshua was tempted in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights, there is something that you're temp that you're going to be temp- temp- uh, tempted with. Um, Rav Shawul, for instance you know, um, talked about the thorn in his side. And the thing about it is we see that through all of these trials that all these individuals had went through, you see a major change from Moshe Rabenu at the beginning of the book of of Shemos or Exodus, where he, you know, is talking to Hashem in the burning bush and he says, I don't even know if I could talk. You know, I don't even know if I could, you know, convey this message to Pharaoh. But we see how it is that Hashem kept working on Moshe Rabbeinu, and this is the guy that you know probably ended up becoming the most articulate of all these individuals. But yet, earlier on, he was worried that he had a that he, he had a heavy tongue, you know. And the thing is that we have these things that we are always dealing with now. The, the thing is, many of you are probably wondering why it is. I didn't mention probably one of the most famous lepers in all of that of the scripture. Let me get a sip of my coffee here. And you're probably wondering why I didn't mention Simon, the leper that is mentioned in uh, two of the Gospels. And the thing is, I want you guys to make note of something, first of all, before we show the next slide. There are certain translations that I do endorse. If you're one of these people that think that you're going to find a perfect translation, then you are fooling yourself. You're never going to find a perfect translation out there. It doesn't exist. Every single translation has a little bit of bias based upon that of of the author. And or the translator rather, and the fact is that every Hebrew word it has many different meanings. Okay, so there's layers to that, and when you try and translate from Hebrew or Aramaic to English, um, you're going to lose a great deal of all that is encompassed. So the translator then says has to say to themselves, "Well, uh, this can mean several different words." So I'm going to use the one that makes the most sense. When I say there's, go- there's going to be a bias in translation, it's not something that is evil. It's not somebody trying to trick you or anything like that. Sometimes, especially in the Greek, there were some mistakes. They weren't mistakes that were on purpose or anything like that. They were, you know, uh, we're flawed human beings, and so. With that comes this scripture, Matthew chapter 26 verse 6. This is why it is that I didn't mention Simon. And it reads, And when Yeshua was in Beth Anna, in the house of the potter Shimon. Now, many of you are probably looking at your Bibles and you're saying to yourself, well mine says, um, that it was Simon the leper. Now we got to look at our Torah portion. Okay? Was a leper allowed to be in the inner city? Was, was a leper allowed to be in Beth Anna? No. So apparently, Yeshua was going to have this dinner party with this leper. And, uh, that he, that nobody was out there yelling, unclean, unclean, unclean. This didn't take place, uh, you, you know, anywhere in this story in either one of the Gospels. It didn't take place. And this wasn't a translation, uh, error that was on purpose. So many people get so conspiratorial, they think everything is on purpose. But the fact is that there is a translational error here. And this is one of the things that the anti-missionaries try and use against uh, believers in Yeshua all the time because they know this. They know their Torah very well, and they know that uh, a leper cannot be in the inner city. And verse 7 helps us to put this into complete context here because it says, A woman approached him. With her alabaster vase of ointment, which was very, which was a very precious perfume, and she poured it upon the head of Yeshua while reclining. So they had an alabaster vase. The thing that we also see in the Torah portion is they could not have such things because the sorot would become a part of those things, and so therefore, Yeshua would end up being defiled by going and accepting this pouring over of the ointment over his head, over his body, because it was in a vase that was defiled, because it was, would be in the house of a leper. We're going to look at this translational error here. And since Hebrew and Aramaic have no vowels. Two words can be spelled the same but pronounced differently and can have two totally different meanings. In this case, the word in question is spelled Gimel Resh bet Aleph and it is pronounced as Garba. The word there Leper, however, whereas Garba same letters means potter or jar maker. It literally means potter. But, you know, potter is a jar maker. Furthermore, since these two words are also pronounced differently, the mistake would most likely happen when copying from the ancient written document that does not offer a modern vowel point. Now, when the time of the Kiboros Codex, which is the original Aramaic of the New Testament, was written. This was before, and the thing that you'll see on the slide is when you see those Hebrew letters there, you will see the, there's little dots below the letters and, and, and inside of them. Those are called nechud and degesh. Degesh would be the little dots that are within the letters, and at the bottom, those are called nechud. The one that looks like a little T, for instance, will make an A sound after the, uh, after the consonant. The ones with the little three dots will make an E or an EH sound. If you see a little dot inside of the bait, then it will make a, uh, it will make a sound of a B. Otherwise, it will make the sound of a V. So, you know, you take, for instance, the third word there after Yeshua. The first uh, letter there will make a B sound with that of an EH. And then you make a V sound then you go and you make a, uh, a Y or an i sound with because of the yod and then you go and you make a t sound with that of an a sound or an ah after it so the these help you to sound out the vowels and also the Dagesh, you know uh, go into that so therefore in the in the Aramaic uh, that we have printed up right there in Hebrew letters. As a matter of fact, it's Aramaic, but it's in Hebrew letters. Uh, because I could not find any sorts of Aramaic font. The thing that you will see there is that, uh, you know, when you don't have those things and you have Greek scholars, you know, looking at different words, certain vowel points are not going to be pointed out there. You know, so they say, they see, they see, uh, uh, something that was spelled G-R-B-A. They have a couple of options. Well, Garba or Garaba. And so, therefore, they chose the word for leper, okay, which is Garba. And didn't think to themselves, well, it's probably Garaba, because those nahud, those little dots, were not there. The Nehud really didn't come about till a couple of centuries later. So... This is what ends up happening here is that, uh, the anti-missionaries get, uh, fuel from the Greek text. And that doesn't mean to get rid of your Greek text. That does not mean that God is, uh, you know, uh, cannot reach you through your Greek text. But every now and then, we might need a little bit of correction in certain verses. And that's okay. It's okay. It doesn't mean that you're, uh, that uh that, that you're that you need to throw out your greek text and all this other stuff and buy into some of these marketing ploys from many others there's like you know oh yeah you got to have the sacred name and all that other stuff you know that's that's just a selling point okay now that's something you got to watch out for uh there's many people that will you know uh go and promote restore name this and that and the thing about it was they when that happens They don't understand the, first of all, the tradition. And, and, and it's actually, and, and the, and the tradition of not printing out the four-letter name of God in that of the English is, there, there's a huge reason for this. And it's because of the fact that in our tradition, as if something contains sacred names, holy names, then it cannot be treated like any other book. Like, you know, for instance, um, I have my Aramaic English New Testament here. And this book over here, I cannot go and put this in a backpack. I cannot go and uh, just lay it casually on the table. You know, it has to be handled a certain way because of the fact that it contains divine names. And so, there's certain books that I even have cases for, as a matter of fact, um, because it can because they contain divine names, and so you know a lot of people in the Hebrew roots don't understand this you know and so they they promote this uh you know uh restored name this and basically they're selling you the exact same thing as an NIV or an NLT a good majority of the time not all the time not all the time but a great majority of the time uh with that of you know uh well let's do a search and replace and just put this version of the sacred name in there okay and so you know, something to be wary of it is, okay, so but as a quick recap here, when we look at this week's Torah portions, uh we look at um uh Tazria and Metzora. study them on your own time as well. Think about look within yourself and say to yourself, what is my Zorob? What is it that it is that I need to work on in my life? Um, and there's some things that could be so minute, but think about how it is that they could snowball into much bigger things. Because that's essentially what happens here. Um, in this part, you know, we see individuals that have something small that they don't take care of, and then it grows, and it grows. It's almost like, you know, if a person decides they're not going to wash their dishes, for instance, you know that plate might might uh you know not be so bad after the first day but then a couple of days go by it starts to grow some some uh, kind of funky stuff on those plates and you know, on the things that they left on those plates and then you know they let it go on for a while and so on and so forth and uh, at some point maybe maybe their entire place needs to be evacuated because of some sort of mold or something like that you see just how things kind of tend to snowball So you look at the little things in your life. Of course you need to pay attention to the big things. But if you feel that there's not anything big, look at the small things. And say to yourself, okay, we need to tackle this with Hashem's help. Prayer is huge. But prayer is only good if you are willing to put the effort forward. And I hope each and every single one of us are looking to put an effort forward. It's growing closer with Hashem, and to shedding the zorot so that we don't become permanently metzora. All right, so I pray and I hope that this teaching had been a blessing to each of you, and uh, I wish each and every single one of you shalom hovrakov, peace and a blessing, shalom.